Welcome everyone to episode 36 of Ohio Unsolved. I'm your host Matthew, and today we're doing things a little different. Currently, I'm in the process of moving, so I haven't had the time to prepare a new episode this week. So instead, I'm going to play one of my Patreon bonus episodes. And that leads me to a bit of sad news. I have decided to put a hold on my Patreon. I know that I have slacked on it, and I am deeply sorry to my three patrons that have stuck with me. So I want to thank Phil, Greg, and Sam for sticking with me and helping to support this show. It truly means a lot to me that you have stayed as long as you guys have. I hope to one day continue the Patreon when I can. I work full-time during the day, and I do the regular episodes at night, and I'm doing this 100% alone, so my time is stretched pretty thin already. Also, next week will be another week off for the podcast, but we will be back on July 22nd with a whole new episode. Thank you everyone for listening, and let's just get right into the episode. Welcome everyone to the Ohio Unsolved Bonus Episodes, Episode 4. In today's episode, we're going to Japan to hear the story of one of Japan's scariest urban legends. So let's just get right into the story. Everyone sit back, make sure to lock your doors and windows, and get ready for Ohio Unsolved Bonus Episodes. I first heard this urban legend on the podcast Scared to Death, and the story I found is the exact same from that episode. This would make such a good movie. My father's family home was just a little under two hours away by car from where we lived, a small village surrounded by farmland. I often stayed with my grandparents during my summer vacation and winter breaks from school and they were always happy to play with me. But the last time I visited them was over 10 years ago, when I was still in my third year of high school. It was my spring break, and I had been invited to visit, and since the weather was good, I rode my bike out to their house. After I got there, I was a little cold, so I stretched out for a moment in a warm, sunny spot off the road. Then I heard something strange. Po, 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 po. It wasn't a mechanical noise. It sounded strange, but human. I looked about to see where the noise was coming from when I saw a white hat peeking over the top of the hedge. The hat moved along to a break in the hedge when I could see that it was being worn by a woman with a white dress. She had to be tall. The hedge was over six feet. Before I could really think about this much, the woman was gone. 
she seemingly disappeared. The strange sound was gone too. At the same time, I just guessed that the person's apparent height had either been due to wearing very tall platform shoes, or that it had been a man dressed up like a woman. Odd, but that was all. A little while later, while having tea with Grandma and Grandpa, I mentioned the strange person that I had seen. But when, as an afterthought, I also mentioned the strange po, po, po noise, my grandparents panicked. My grandfather suddenly showered me with questions. When did you see this? How much taller than the fence? Did they look at you? I answered as quickly as he asked. Then he rushed to the phone in the hallway, shutting the sliding door so I couldn't hear the call. The room was suddenly very quiet. Grandma smiled a little, but was trembling for some reason. Grandpa came back soon and told me that I would be staying overnight with them. I had to admit that I didn't understand what the fuss was about, and I asked what was so bad about the strange woman. Grandpa said, Grandma can tell you. He then looked at her and said he was going to pick up someone named Kason, and then he left. In a clearly shaky voice, Grandma said, It seems that Hachishaku-sama has become interested in you, but we shouldn't worry. Grandpa is making arrangements. Grandma then told me, a little at, the, at a time, that Hachishaku-sama was not a person. She was some sort of monster, and is named Hachishaku-sama because of her height. Her appearance could change somewhat, sometimes young, sometimes old, but she would always be abnormally tall and would always have a creepy laugh. Po, po, po. Once the Hachishaku-sama takes an interest in a person, they were hunted to death in just a few days, and the last known victim of Hachishaku-sama had been 15 years earlier. I learned later that Hachishaku-sama was supposed to be trapped in a shrine near the village, having been sealed in by four statues of Jizo, a protective deity of children, each placed to the north, south, east, and west of the structure. The village had some sort of agreement with its neighboring villages, wherein they were given some advantages to make up for the fact that they had to watch over the monster. For example, they got first priority on water use, since it had been over a dozen years since Hachishaku-sama had killed anyone. I have to wonder if the old men in those villages thought it was still a good arrangement. At the time, I couldn't quite believe what I was being told, of course. But then Grandpa returned with a very old lady, Kason. For that's who it was. She handed me a small paper charm and told me to hold on to it. Then she and Grandpa went upstairs. While they were upstairs, I tried to excuse myself to use the bathroom, but my Grandma wouldn't let me go alone and she insisted on keeping the door open and an eye on me as I was using the facilities. This is when I started to really understand just how serious my grandparents felt the situation was. I was soon led upstairs to a bedroom. The single window in the room 
had been covered with a newspaper on which a charm like the one I was holding had been affixed. In each corner of the room was a small pile of sacred salt, and they had also set up a small wood box with a statue of Buddha on it. I was told that I would have to stay in the room until 7 the next morning, and that I couldn't leave no matter what. They provided a bucket for me to use the bathroom in. Grandpa made it clear that neither he nor Grandma would talk to me until 7 the next morning. Kason told me to keep the charm on me and to pray to Buddha if I got scared. I had a bed and a TV in the room. Grandma had left me some snacks. I tried to watch some TV, but I couldn't pay attention, and I wasn't hungry. So I just lay on the bed, wrapped in the sheets, and I eventually fell asleep, because the next thing I remember was waking up to a late night show on the TV. My watch said that it was around 1 a.m., and I heard something tapping on the glass of the window. I tried to ignore it, but it was very persistent. I had some tea and a snack, and I turned up the TV to drown out the tapping. Then I heard Grandpa call from the hall. Are you alright? It's okay to come out if you're too scared. I started for the door automatically, but stopped myself, as I remembered how insistent Grandpa had been that he would not talk to me until 7. Again I heard him. It's okay, come here. I wanted it to be my Grandpa's voice but somehow I knew it wasn't. I suddenly had goosebumps all over me. Then I noticed the salt in the corner. It was becoming darker. I dropped in front of the Buddha, clasping the charm in both hands, and I started praying for help. Po, 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 po. The tapping on the window started again, louder than before, more insistent. Then a definite hand slapped the window. Despite the fact that I was on the second floor, I did the only thing I could, and I kept praying to Buddha. It was a long night. I really don't remember much other than praying until I heard the news on the TV. I looked over, and the morning clock on the TV news screen showed that it was 7.13 a.m. The tapping had stopped. The voice was gone. The salt in the corners was almost black. I gingerly opened the door. Grandma and Kason, both looking worried, were there. Grandma in tears. She told me that things were going to be okay. Downstairs, I found my father waiting. Grandpa came in from the outside, and we needed to drive off. I found that there was a number of men standing around near a van. My grandpa's car was in the front of the van, and my father's was behind it. I was seated in the middle of the van, with eight of the men sitting around me, one to each side. And then there were three in the front and three in the back. One more man took the driver's seat, and Kason took the passenger seat of the front. I was told to keep my eyes closed and my face pointing down. You are the only one who can see Hachishaku-sama. Do not look at her. Our convoy soon started off slowly at first. I don't think we had even traveled 20 kilometers before Kason warned us that things were about to get hard. Then she started to chant phrases that sounded Buddhist, and then I heard the laugh again. Po, 
Poe, Poe, Poe. I clutched a charm to my chest and I kept my head down, but I couldn't resist a quick peek at the window. That was a mistake. I could see a white dress. It appeared stationary to the car's window, even though we had to be moving very fast at that point. The figure moved as if to lower its head to the window and I gasped and the man next to me told me to shut my eyes, which I did, and tightly. Though no one else could see the Hachishakusama, they all heard what happened next. The tapping. I don't know how, but the tapping started on every window in the van, all at the same time. I don't know how long it lasted, but over time, it faded. Kason had stopped chanting by that time as well, and eventually, she said that she felt we were safe now, so the cars all pulled over. My father and grandpa thanked all of the men who had assisted. As it turns out, all of them were related to me. Grandpa and Kason had hoped to confuse Hachishakusama by surrounding me with many people of all the same bloodline. I had to stay overnight while grandpa was gathering my relatives and it was deemed safer to try to escape during the day than the night. Kason asked me to show her the charm, which I had forgotten that I was still holding. It had turned almost entirely black. Kason commented, it should be alright now, but just in case, and with that, she handed me a new charm to hold until I got home. I drove home with my father, and during this drive, he told me that one of his friends, when he was young, had been taken by Hachishakusama. Grandpa and the neighbors delivered my bike back to me later that day. In talking with my grandpa over the phone, I had confirmed that it was not his voice that I heard outside the room that night, which sent shivers down my spine again. Hachishakusama targets teens and children, so if the monster speaks with a familiar relative's voice, the victim would normally come to it willingly. I had almost forgotten this all after ten years. Grandma called to tell me that one of the Jizo statues that had sealed Hachishakusama into the shrine looked as if it had, had been broken by someone. The statue that was broken lined up with the road leading to our home. Two years ago, my grandpa died. Sadly, I was not allowed to attend his funeral. I try to tell myself that it was all superstition, but sometimes I can still hear that voice call. Po, 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 po. Real or not, this is one of the scariest stories that I've ever read. I hope that this someday gets made into a movie. It would be an instant watch for me. Well, that's going to do it for today's bonus episode. I hope that you enjoyed the story. I'm glad that I can go outside of Ohio for the bonus episodes. There are so many scary stories and urban legends all around the world, and I plan to share all the best ones here with you. With that being said, make sure to keep your doors and windows locked, and stay ready for Ohio Unsolved bonus episodes.